my bones. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Caden Smith welcoming everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. That is Whiskey Myers kicking things off for us here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in today. There's no place I'd rather be than right here with you talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies. Hope that everybody is making plans to get into those great outdoors this weekend. And whether you are wetting the line or filling feeders, chasing feral hogs, whatever the case, I know my kiddos, <laughs> they're obsessed with the deerlies right now. Before Corona, yeah, they liked to go when it was convenient, uh, when they didn't have soccer or birthday parties or, I mean, whatever, life. But now, they're beating me up. All week, Dad, can we go to the deer lease? Can we go to the deer lease? Dad, we're bored sitting in this house. <laughs> I get it. Uh, you can only jump on the trampoline so much. So uh, I guess I'll take them to the deer lease. <laughs> Hope you guys are making plans to get outdoors as well and, and take in all of the beauty that the good Lord has provided for us. We've got a great show lined up for you today, so you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee. Out of Granddaddy's beat up, Stanley Thermos, the green one with mud caked on it from Waterfowl Seasons Come and Gone. Because uh, we're ready to rock and roll. And today, we'll be visiting with renowned wild game chef, author, and our good friend, Hank Shaw. We're going to spend some time covering um, meat care and preparation. Uh, things that you should or should not be doing with your venison and uh, fish too uh, also silver skin slow cooking what are each of our favorite big game animals to work with uh, lots of good stuff uh, pozole uh, thinking of uh, specific recipes i know we're going to touch on uh, all that will be covered in today's presentation so hank will be here for the duration and he's someone who i could visit with for hours and hours and hours because he has such a wealth of knowledge on all things uh, wild game and seafood as well. Uh, great author. If you haven't read any of his books, uh, he's got three or four, I think three, probably working on a fourth, uh, really in-depth cookbooks on wild game preparations. So certainly looking forward to having Hank join us on today's broadcast. Uh, let's, do a, uh, let's do a quick Vortex Optics giveaway Still got the big box of Vortex Nation Texas t-shirts. I will throw in a Lone Star Outdoors Show First Light cap. It's in First Light signature cipher camo pattern, by the way. So if you want to throw your hat in the ring and try to uh, win today's prize pack, just email Wild Game. That's Wild Game because that's what we're going to be talking about today to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. We'll get you entered. Let's um, let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, Wild Game Chef and our good friend Hank Shaw joins us on the Lone Star Outdoor the Show. The prowling, the coyotes are howling. We out where the dog is Where spurs are the jingling, a cowboy is singing this lonesome cattle Hey guys, Cable here to remind you that if you're looking for a handheld thermal monocular, Pulsar's got two great options the helion uh, which was my favorite for a long time and then the axiom as well which is a little more compact uh, about the size of your cell phone fits in your pocket 
And at $1459.99 has the price tag to match. But still got all the great features you love from Pulsar. And get this. When you use my promo code Pulsar underscore PL, you'll get 20% off your order. That's right. 20% off when you check out at PulsarNV.com. Quit school when she was 17. Senator on TV calls her welfare queen. Used to be daddy's little girl. Now she needs help in this mean old world. Buys cassette tapes in the bargain bin. Loves Carlene Carter and Loretta Lynn. Tries to have fun on a Saturday night. Sunday morning don't shine too Cable bright. Smith, welcoming each and every one of you back to the Lone Star Outdoor it's Show. That's the Bottle Rockets welfare music. One goes back a ways to probably the late 90s. I think I was about in high school when that record came out. A great tune there. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well. We're about to talk some wild game uh, dishes, meat preparation, do's and don'ts. All that good stuff with renowned Wild Game chef and author Hank Shaw. But first, this segment brought to you by Lone Star Beer and the new Rio Jade Mexican-style lager. Pairs well with uh, Tex-Mex, Mexican food, and uh, take it with a lime or without. It's the Rio Jade Mexican-style lager from Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Uh, with that being said, let's bring on our first guest today, longtime friend of the show, someone who... I draw a lot of inspiration from when it comes to my wild game dishes. Hank Shaw, thanks for being here, brother. Thanks for having me on again. It is my pleasure. So uh, not that you're ever lacking for inspiration in the kitchen, but has this lockdown resulted in any new creations with all the free time on everyone's hands? I don't know. I think it's allowed me to come back to some things that I hadn't perfected yet. And it's, it, you know, because you're cooking twice a day, three times a day sometimes mm-hmm. and it's allowed you to kind of hone things and not really stress about if it, if that one time isn't super perfect. Cause guess what? You're going to have to eat again in another 12 hours. So, you know, you get a chance to just really dial in on things that you have been working on. And it's been, it's been a pretty good experience all told, you know, I mean, sucks not being able to get, get out that much, but yeah. fortunately that's starting to change. Yeah. Well, you know, you see on social media just feeds over the last couple of months have just been littered with people that have gotten back to home cooking instead of eating out. And uh, But my family's guilty of that. You know, we have three kids, and they're all involved in extracurricular activities. So yeah, it's it's a regular thing on a Tuesday night after soccer practice to run through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. But, right. Uh, certainly haven't been doing I, that. And <laughs> so have been, you noticed that the one major truth of all of this? The dishes never end. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ever, ever. Uh huh. No doubt about that. And and I've enjoyed it. I mean, I, I love cooking anyway. So, uh, it's, uh, it's nice to not have to eat Chick Fil A. Uh, although I I did for the first time in probably two and a half three months run through their drive through last weekend. So, I guess yeah, uh, I got a I got a Chipotle burrito for the first time in like six weeks too. <laughs> yeah, it was calling my name, but. Uh, um, it's nice though to uh, have three freezers full of wild game to uh, yeah. Tell me about take it. Take your pick from. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you have any? Did you have a chance to get into the turkey woods at all? 
I didn't actually. It was um, the tur- our turkey season was in like the height of the lockdown, mm-hmm. and I don't have a really great spot. Um, I've got a decent spot in the national forest in El Dorado, but I just was kind of I was kind of working on things in the garden at that point, and I, I it was a combination of and it's going to be a really hard hunt. And then on the other hand, my garden was really doing well. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to stay home. And mm. so I missed it this year, but we have a fall season. So I'll probably go out and try and get one in the fall. Well, I got three turkeys, but my garden looks like absolute dog. You know what? <laughs> See, there, there you go. It's a trade off. <laughs> yeah. I think I have like two basil plants that sprouted. Uh, the peppers are doing okay, but like the carrots and cilantro and cucumbers all just flat on their asses so um have you ever messed around with turkey pozole or any kind of pozole dishes oh yeah i mean i mean i'm i'm not the king of pozole but i mean i i make a mean pozole i'll tell you what it's a, one of my favorite dishes in the world because not only is it a dish that completely hinges on just a very few ingredients you, when you serve it you then have this whole choose your own adventure aspect to go on top of what is uh-huh. hopefully a really an amazing base. I uh, and I was just asking because I I messed around with the turkey legs and I've made so out of three the three turkeys that I killed I've done two of them with a turkey leg pozole and I mean the wife and kids just thought it was the best thing I've ever made from a turkey. And Did you like do a red, said, a green, or a white? Well, it was green. That's the, I used salsa verde for the base. There you go. Yeah. yeah. But all the a lot of the other stuff you can just dump out of the can into you know the, the hominy and uh, you can even if you wanted uh, to do the the salsa which I did out of the can um, so it's a a pretty easy dish to make to be honest with you it's as easy or as involved as you want to make it mm-hmm. um, so it's this is the one thing that's great about pozzoli is you know so it's traditionally made with a pig's head and so you take a pig's head and then you simmer it. And then A, that's your broth, and B, you pick off all the good things off the, the head and chop it up, mm-hmm. or tear it to pieces. Yeah. And then that's the base of your of your stew. And then you know you can get canned hominy, and that's I, I do that sometimes. But you know you can then cook your own um, your own pozole from from scratch, and the texture is so much better with the dried corn than it is with the canned corn. Mm. That I I tend to to just you know the guy worked from home right so yeah. I don't have the time to have corn simmering on the stove, but um, yeah that's really all it is. I mean if you think about it, it's an amazing broth, some sort of meat, and and the the hominy corn, and then everything else is jazz after that. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, choose your own adventure. You want to put uh, avocado on there, or sour cream, or cheese, or uh, mm-hmm. tortilla chips is big. Radishes yeah. are big. The yeah. kids love the tortilla chips. They, that's what they ate it up. One other thing that I, I messed around with concerning turkeys for the first time um, this spring was the liver, heart, and the gizzard. Mm-hmm. And we just did it right there in camp. Um, and then from the other ones, just brought home and did the same thing, but just in a skillet with a little onion and garlic. And, man, I had – I guess the only bird nasty bits that I, I keep are – it's usually dove hearts and – and duck and goose hearts. Uh, mm-hmm. So the liver, though, I think was my favorite, my favorite cut of the turkey. They can get pretty light. And one little thing about anytime you see a bird's liver, if the if it's lighter in color, like almost like a like 
like a white guy with a tan, uh-huh. um, that means that there's fat in that liver. And so the texture and flavor of that liver is going to be way better, in my opinion, than the ones that are like deep burgundy wine color, which mm-hmm. are just, that's sort of your standard run of the mill liver. I would say that uh, it was lighter colored than like a duck or a goose liver. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So yeah. that means that that probably had a little bit of fat in it. Yeah. Oh, and then, I mean, these birds had this, uh, that's the other cool thing we did. These birds had all this yellow fatty, uh, goodness around their their breasts and everything and, and oh we, yeah that big crop sponge thing. Uh-huh. And we cut that up we didn't even use butter we just uh used that and you know kind of got that boiled down and then just cooked everything in that fat yeah that's cool yeah it was delicious uh what is your what is your favorite nasty bits recipe from uh birds i tend to go to either uh like an italian bolognese sauce uh-huh which uses all three of them ground up or chopped or ground, or I'll go with Cajun dirty rice. And one of those two are, are typically where I'll lean to if, I've, if I'm doing a, something special with giblets where I want where I want people to actually eat them without people being freaked out by like a, you know, a, a heart on their plate or, or, you know, big giant liver. Cause a lot of people get skeeved out about that. And mm-hmm. I, and I want people to enjoy the meal without having to think bad thoughts about it. Yeah. Well, I think it's all perception too. Like I didn't grow up eating that stuff. My seven-year-old son walks by a plate of, of turkey innards and just says, which one's the liver? That that one is okay. And then he just starts eating them. You know, it's a, it's a different, it's just totally different. And my wife won't eat it. She didn't grow up eating it. And she just, she'll eat any wild game, but she draws the line on, on organs. She's not a fan. But it's a yeah, mental everybody thing. Everybody thought those things. Do I? Like I grew up with. I grew up. Everybody has those lines. Yeah. I grew up eating um, tripe Italian style. Hmm. So it, like you, it'd be all in the old. Imagine the old, you know, Italian American red sauce places from you know the fifties and seventies and such. Places like the, you, you imagine the mafia hangs out. Oh yeah, I just thought of that when I said that. Hey, right. <laughs> I'm so thinking Goodfellas in my head. <laughs> yes, exactly. Think that because that that that's. I grew up in New Jersey, so that's. That's like a, a downtown neighborhood restaurant. Uh-huh. So they all had this spicy tomato sauce tripe dish on their menus that I just grew up loving. And it's just, for a lot of people, that's just super weird. But, you know, just what you're exposed to as a kid. Like, you know, when you think about cattle ranchers eating eating uh, Rocky Mountain oysters. Oh, yeah. Well, in Texas, we, uh, and, and I have not cooked them personally, uh, but one of my buddies who's an outfitter, he saves and he's a he's a hog uh, hog outfitter. He saves mm. the balls off of every boar that they shoot, and he feeds it to the clients there in camp. And they're every bit as good as a uh, you know Rocky Mountain oysters. So mm. yeah, I've only I, I tend to uh, my general rule with with Rocky Mountain oysters is I'm not I'm not about to eat balls that have been used. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, if it's a if it's a young animal, I'll go for it. Well, I, I shot a nil guy last year. And and I did keep the testicles from it, and I mean, uh, cut them into like oh, half dollar size slices, uh-huh. breaded them, fried them, and uh, put a little sriracha on them. And I mean, the kids, I videoed them just because I was like, here, you know, here's reality: is your kids don't know that these these type of cuts have a you know a stigma to them. They just mm-hmm. eat it, and it's just delicious. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So that's in the Nova too. I, I'm, it's a bucket list animal for me. Oh man, delicious! Absolutely delicious. 
Um, I see. I see you've been doing a little mushroom hunting though, here a during lot. the uh, <laughs> lockdown. Yeah. Uh, so you're in the Sacramento area. What kind of mushrooms are native to uh, that region? Well, there's just bajillions of them, but the springtime there's really three that you that you look for. Um, we have morels, like everybody else does in the mm. spring. Ours just ours come late though because we don't have a lot in the valley where I live. Typically, you'll find morels in my part of the world in pine forests at altitude. Mm. So it has to it takes a while for that area to to hit the right temperature. So there's a spot at around 6,500 feet that is just now uh, starting to come off. And, you know, morel season's over for most of the country. Oh, it's always over for me. I don't, I couldn't tell you I've ever seen one in Texas. And uh, They're in the panhandle. Okay. You can find them up by Amarillo. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I that's, think it's a, I think it's a regional thing, Hank, because, like, people down here don't do it. Um, I, I kind of look at it like shed hunting. I don't get it. I want to, I want the, the shed to be attached to the animal and it's still breathing and I'm looking through a scope at it. I mean, that's, that's my version of shed hunting. Uh, I'm with you too on that one for sure. Cause you, <laughs> you know, you can't make much of a, you can't make much of a meal out of a shed. Right. Um, but yeah, I guess because it's cultural down here. We just don't have the mushrooms like, you know, especially in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, my gosh, there's so many mushrooms up there, but oh uh, yeah, Midwest too. They've so we're the bottom more. of the Pacific Northwest. So, so if you think about that, mm. um, you know, from biological standpoint, we're the bottom of that area. And so we have porcini mushrooms in the spring as well, mm-hmm. which is, it's a king bolete. And there's a version of it that lives more or less in every part of the country, but really you, you find these in the West, you know, from the Rocky mountains to the mountains of Arizona, all the way to the West. And they're amazing because they're, they can be, you know, one mushroom can be two pounds. Mm. And you know, it's it's basically you're looking underneath pine duff, you know, so if you're walking around in a forest and underneath your feet are just nothing but pine needles, you kind of, you can start looking and they tend to create like what we call a mushroom. Um, it's just like a, a bump in the, in the pine duff. And then you look underneath it and then the, the mushrooms either there or it's not. And because mm. a lot of times by the time they actually emerge, the, the bugs get at them really something fierce. Hmm. Okay. I don't, I guess I'll start mushroom hunting when they start making mushrooms out of meat. Well, here's the thing. I could serve you porcini mushrooms and you would, you'd swear it was meat. I, I mean, I'd, I'd like mushrooms. I like to saute them and stuff, but I, I, like here, it's just the ones I buy at the grocery store. Don't even know what, maybe they're shiitake mushrooms. I don't even know. They're, they're generally button mushrooms, uh-huh. which, uh, uh, the, so the, both the white and the brown ones are button, button mushrooms, but okay. yeah. You can pretty much buy shiitakes as well. Yeah. But yeah, I get it. You know, but but here's the thing. Like, if you lived in an area where mushrooms were a thing, yeah, it's exactly like hunting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just yeah, because you don't know where they are. They you can even know where you think they're going to be, just like you pattern a deer. And if you're not there in the right conditions, well, the mushroom's not going to be there. So there's that element of you have to be aware and you have to keep your wits about you because they're not easy to see very often. And it, it, it's the closest thing to real hunting there is that's not actually really hunting. Well, I, and there's some study that goes into it. You have to know what you're looking for, what mushrooms are edible and, and aren't. Mm-hmm. And, 
but yeah, I think it's totally a regional thing, no doubt about For it. Sure. Uh, but man, mushrooms are absolutely delicious. I don't, I don't know that I've ever had a moral mushroom. Everyone goes crazy about them. You see as many pictures of those during the springtime as you do of turkeys, almost. But oh, totally. Uh, it's like trout, t- trout, morels, and, and turkeys, <laughs> yeah. and, and ramps. Yeah. Those are the big four. I don't. Yeah, like I said, I don't think I've ever seen one uh, in the wild. Um, let's do this. Um, let's take a quick break. I want to come back, talk about meat care and prep because folks make a lot of mistakes. Some are mistakes that I used to make regularly, um, but I think we should get into that next. Sound good? Sure. No problem. Excellent. And that segment was brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. You know, All Seasons is proudly American-made in Texas. Rather than being outsourced to China, like so many other uh, manufacturers out there, support American-made products. You can find their entire lineup of blinds, feeders, and grills at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll be right back with more from our good friend and wild game chef extraordinaire, Hank Shaw, on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. That's the difference between whiskey and you. And one's a devil. British Columbia is world-renowned for its beauty and wildlife, and Vancouver Island is revered as a magical place by hunters. Vancouver Island Coastal Bear Adventures specializes in taking mature trophy black bears with 18-inch minimum skulls in the 6.5 to 7.5-year range. They also have Roosevelt elk tags and only take Boone and Crockett bulls each fall. 60% of their guiding area is located on private land. So whether you're looking for a Boone or black bear, once-in-a-lifetime Roosevelt elk, or a giant cougar, They've got the hunt for you. Visit VancouverIslandBearHunt.com to book your hunt today. That's VancouverIslandBearHunt.com. Howdy, folks. I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com today. That's five hearts breaking from Alejandro Escovedo, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. We are talking uh, all things wild game, meat care, prep, recipes, you name it, uh, with our good friend Hank Shaw, a well-known wild game chef and author. Before we pick it back up with Hank, however, this segment brought to you by Vortex Optics. They've got everything you need to get your AR functioning for whatever purpose you have in mind. Whether you want a hog-killing son of a gun, you want to shoot at distance, they've got even the Razer HD Gen 2, 1-6 to by 24 Yeah, perfect for reaching out there at long distances. Or maybe you know, you're trying to be a little more frugal. Well, 
They've got the new Strike Eagle, 1 to 8 by 24, and that one retails for $499.99. They've got whatever you need to get your AR dialed in. You can find the entire lineup at vortexoptics.com. Well, let's get back into it here with our good friend and wild game chef, Hank Shaw. Thanks for sticking around through the break. Yeah, no problem. So let's transition into meat care and preparation. And uh, there's some common mistakes that, that hunters make pretty regularly. Like I said earlier, I'm guilty of, of one for sure. And that is I used to bleed my meat on ice or even in ice water for five or six days sometimes. And uh, this is, in my opinion now, um, 15 years later, it's a cardinal sin. Like the meat goes from a nice, dark, deep burgundy to a palish pink. And I'm sure you would agree that, uh, that, that takes a lot of, I mean, a lot of the goodness right out of that flesh. Oh my God. Like we were talking about regional differences before the break. And this is one of the biggest ones. So, so that practice, the ice water bath uh-huh. is, it's not exclusive to Texas, but Texas is the biggest place where that violator <laughs> it's so strange. It's really weird. Like I, I don't understand it at all because there's a whole number of things that are going on that are potentially dangerous. I'm going to throw out a, an opinion and this just came to me of, of sure. why I think it's because it's hot here. And so a lot of other States, you can just hang the meat and let it age. Mm-hmm. You can't really do that here. Barring an extreme cold front, you know, or if you have a walk-in Dude, it cooler. is no hotter there than it is in our A zone in California. I mean, we routinely hunt in 100 degrees. So you shot holes in that, between, in that opinion. <laughs> well, there's a difference between putting a deer on ice mm-hmm. and putting a deer under ice. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's the whole, it's the soak that gets me. I'm like, absolutely, of course you're going to put. I mean, we get big big marine coolers and and put quarters, you know, what, what we always do is, so you have a block, if you could get block ice, that's, that's your key. Mm-hmm. Cause block ice holds better and doesn't melt as fast. So one or two, three blocks of ice. And then I get like a burlap sack, or even a garbage bag to set, to separate the actual deer from the ice. And that works great. Uh, the soak is weird because if the soak if the water gets above 40 degrees, you start to get into a bacterial soup and it can be downright dangerous. Yeah. But even if it's kept under 40 degrees, it's it, my explanation. Not only is it hot in Texas, but if you are shooting ruddy bucks, there's going to be an off flavor to them. And you might want to brine a piece of deer that was, had been a ruddy buck because there are hormones involved and, and there's adrenaline involved that are not great for, for meat quality. So I can see where it kind of starts, mm-hmm. but this whole like completely washed out pale pink, like you were describing thing is just, I don't, I don't understand it. I mean, you have to cut right into the center of, of just, let's just say a backstrap. Once it's been under in ice water for five days, you have to cut into the middle of it to even find that beautiful red color again, if there's any left at all. And, uh, no, I mean, I used to do this and I look back and I'm like, all that blood is what gives it the flavor. And when you're cooking it, it also, that moisture, those juices prevent the meat from drying out. I mean, there's a thing about brining and brining works. You don't have to do it with deer meat, but you know, it's, 
you know, I will bring things that have an off flavor. Mm-hmm. So sea ducks, um, you know, certain diver ducks. Yeah. I mean, if I've got a piece of like stanky old buck, mm-hmm, I might brine it. Um, but probably not for five right or six days. I mean, people no, do it for a week. <laughs> yeah. It's over, you know, it's overnight. Like, and, it's, and even then you don't even necessarily brine it, brine it. You can just salt it and that pulls a lot of that, of that moisture out. Uh-huh. When I first got into big game hunting, like before uh, social media was a thing, it was forums. I mean, that's where you would get mm-hmm. a lot of your information. And I would get on forums with thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of members. And they would say, oh, yeah, you could, you got to ice it. And then you might have to change the ice like three or four times uh, over the course of a week to, to do this, to get it right. <laughs> Looking back on it, it's just, ugh. It's just cultural. Yeah. It's a cultural practice that has taken on a life of its own. And, you know, let, I mean, I'll let's just step away for, for a second. I don't like it. Most people in the United States don't like their venison like that. Um, but if if you keep the ice water below 40 degrees, you know, you're not killing anybody. And if that's how you like your venison, go ahead and do it. But I, I surely, I don't, I don't prefer it. Yeah. Well, it's not like the venison tasted bad, right? Uh, it still was. Sometimes it does, but most times it doesn't. Right. It's perfectly good. Yeah. But all that richness goes away. That's uh, I like to eat it medium rare, and I like it as bloody as possible. So uh, live and learn. Live and learn. What about actually bleeding an animal? I, you know, I, I don't typically do this because I usually just uh, field dress them right there. And, you know, within an hour, they're quartered up and on ice. Um, but you see, especially with fish, I mean, people bleed fish all the time. What about, uh, are there species or, or different animals that that you actually do bleed? No. I mean, only fish. Okay. You know, because here's the thing, like, how are you going to bleed a bleed an animal? I mean, the way that you bleed an animal in a, in a domestic setting is you bonk it on the head so it's more or less stunned. Yeah. And then you cut its throat or you stick it. Mm-hmm. So that the that the still beating heart pumps blood out of the animal, and that's you know that's kosher or halal. That's their practice. And I'll be honest, I don't really love meat that's blood like that for the same reason that I don't like deer meat that's been soaked in ice for a week. Um, there's an element uh, you lose an element of flavor and juiciness to it. Mm-hmm. And even though it's even though the, the 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 red liquid that comes out of a piece of meat that's been thawed is not blood um it's just plasma uh i still get a sense that you know i think there's another element to halal and salt and and kosher meat is that i think they salt it too for some reason but mm. at any rate how as a as a hunter when are you going to be able to bleed something it's just it's not really practical yeah you've already bled them out with a heart shot right yeah <laughs> look <laughs> at that blood trail it'll tell you all you need to know through. but well, so, Texas heart shot's a little different. Yeah. <laughs> well, so why do people do it with fish? Ah, because fish is so much more delicate than land or land meat or birds mm-hmm. that you have a number of things that are going on. That not the least of which is that a you're, you're affecting texture of the meat. So a bled fish is going to be firmer. A bled fish is going to be cleaner in the sense that it will taste cleaner. This is a really big deal with darker meat, darker meat fish. So if you're talking about the Gulf of Mexico, you're talking about, you know, 
Cobia, King Mackerel, Wahoo, Tuna, um, even speckled trout. So, you know, you're talking about fish that have a bit of action going on on them. They, they're darker meat, they're stronger tasting meat to begin with. And if they're not bled, they're going to be mushier and more strongly flavored. And that's not a good thing in most cases. Mm -hmm. Bleeding a fish is a lot less important when you're talking about a crappie or a catfish or, um, you know, a a sheep's head or something like that, Mm -hmm. or a a snapper. It's it's not as important because of the nature of those fish. But, you know, I, I fish salmon commercially in Alaska, and every single fish that comes over the rail is is bled because the meat quality difference is so profoundly different. So a a great way to do this as an example would be if you went to a supermarket and you bought Copper River salmon, it's famously branded salmon. It's just, it's basically that region of Alaska has made a name for itself because they're treating their fish way better than anybody else at first. Now, lots of people are doing it, but that, method of meat care is the gold standard now so buy a copper river red which is a copper river sockeye salmon Mm -hmm. it'll be expensive and it'll be amazing now go to costco and buy sockeye salmon frozen fillets that salmon's not been bled and it is unbelievably different in a bad way compared to the (laughs) copper river red right and all that it is is bleeding and 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 field care in you know as soon as the fish comes over the rail huh well so for anyone out there who's listening that doesn't know how to bleed a fish, just describe that process. Depending on the fish, typically if it's if it's not a big old fish, uh, you just stick your fingers in the gills and pop both gills and stick them head first into a five-gallon bucket of water. Okay. And Or Easy you can enough. run a stringer through his mouth and his gill plate so he doesn't get away and then run him over the side for a little while. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's a real big fish, you can cut your finger on the, um, on the, they have gill rakers, like kind of spiny bony things on the side of the gills. If it's a big enough fish where you're going to cut yourself, just take your fillet knife and, and slice the gills. Huh. Yeah, that reminded me of a, a funny uh, incident the first time I went red snapper fishing and I pulled a eight or 10 pound snapper over the rail and lipped it like a largemouth bass. Nice. Very, nice. No, not nice. Very quickly find out why they're called red snapper <laughs> as those two prominent, you know, front teeth just right through my fingernail. Yeah, it was and awesome. So back in the back in the Northeast, we do the same thing with newbies with bluefish. So bluefish is more or less like a, imagine a, an ocean going piranha. Hmm. And it's the same. Like, eh, just lip them. It'll be fine. It's <laughs> like, ah! Yeah. His thumb's all bloody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's basically what it was. It was a, uh, yeah, didn't do that again. Um, okay, so that's proper handling of fish. Uh, but again, uh, don't want to keep those fillets in ice water either. Very important to keep them on ice. Or they not will, ice water. Um, they'll get mushy for sure. It's not a terrible idea to put them in a in a weak brine though. Mm-hmm. But the presence of salt is important in the and if you're if you're going to do that. Well, this appears to be a good place to work in a quick break. Uh, Hank is going to stick around, and when we come back, we'll get into silver skin and slow cooking, among other things. That segment brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. I just got the new uh, Thermion XP50 thermal scope, put on a bolt gun. And let me tell you, from a functionality and just user-friendly standpoint, this is the best thermal scope that I've ever 
used. Um, the clarity is unmatched as well. It's the latest and greatest from Pulsar. It's the Thermion, and you can find it at PulsarNV.com. We'll be right back with more from Hank Shaw on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. I never meant to be a bad man. I just had a fast hand. Ain't gonna be nothing in here. Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a Quiet Cat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, Quiet Cat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. I got sideways with some cowboy a short ride in Casper. He was strong, he was stout. There ain't no doubt, but I was faster. I've been under the lights on a few Saturday nights. Tornado's the name of that one from Wynn Williams bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Lone Star Beer. And Hoff Power Polaris, Cable Smith here with you today. Thanks for being here. Uh, we are still talking wild game with renowned wild game chef extraordinaire. Our good friend Hank Shaw is here. And we will pick it back up with Hank momentarily. This segment of the show is brought to you by Stealth Cam's WXA wireless camera. This is the AT&T model. That's what I have. But, hey, if you uh, have a better signal with Verizon at your ranch or lease, by all means, you can use Verizon as well. But it's so simple. The camera sends live updates to the app on my cell phone. I know what is coming to every feeder, what's on any trail that I've got one of these set up on. It's awesome. And you can find the WXA right there at StealthCam.com. All right. Uh, Well, let's pick it back up with Hank Shaw now. And, Hank, something that we need to discuss is silver skin. And, you know, take a beautiful whole backstrap out, grab a fillet knife, and next thing you know, I've lost like 10 or 15% of the backstrap because I've gone to town just trying to get all that nasty silver skin off of there. Yeah, I mean... So here's the thing, though. So silver skin needs to go on a tender cut of meat so because it's not going to break down. Mm-hmm. You want silver skin in a neck roast, a shank, or a shoulder roast because you're going to pot roast it and otherwise do it slow and low. And that silver skin will ultimately break down and, and make your meat silkier. But that doesn't happen with a backstrap or a hind leg roast. So because of that, I do two things. I do the same thing with you with backstrap, but I don't do it when I'm butchering. I do it when I'm cooking it. So if I'm going to, and I typically keep my backstrap as lengths, like foot long lengths of backstrap. I don't cut it into medallions. Oh, me too. Until it's yeah. done cooking. 
So let's say we've got like a foot long length of back strap. Yeah, I'm going to take the big honking stuff off, but there's still going to be like a layer or two of silver skin still on it. I leave that on and then I vacuum seal it and then it goes in the freezer. Mm -hmm. The reason is this. So one, when it comes out of the freezer, the silver skin has protected the meat somewhat. It's a, it's a layer between the meat you're going to eat and the freezer environment. And it matters less so with vacuum sealing, but it's, it's still just become a habit of mine. It's more important if you're doing butcher paper. Mm -hmm. So the second reason is that when the meat thaws, oftentimes you can peel the silver skin off with your fingers, the, uh, which you cannot do if it's fresh meat. So instead of losing 10 to 15% of the backstrap, like you were saying, you lose way less because of that. It's a, it's a, it's a little freezer trick that I learned over the years. Hmm. The second thing that you have to deal with with silver skin is that on a hind leg, I will almost always separate my roasts based off the muscle groups. So, you know, you get a, a sirloin roast, which looks like a football, and then you get the top loin, and you, you get these the, the roasts out of a deer or a, or a pig or really anything are always going to be the individual muscles separated. So what that does is that only gives you exterior silver skin and to deal with. And so that way you can cook these hind leg roasts medium rare and you don't have an iron layer, you don't have an iron layer of silver skin right in the middle of what you're trying to cut. And by doing it that way, your hind leg is as good as the backstrap. And in some cases it's better because it's like a big you know, roast beef as opposed to like the front leg, which is a, like a stew meat or pot roast or, or even grind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we had on this guy, I forgot his name, uh, but his father started Broken Arrow Ranch back in the eighties oh, yeah. and, uh, they're an exotic game. Um, yeah, they're famous. Yeah. Vendor. And, and he would, he took a briefcase of like Neil Guy and Axis Tear and just went to the uh, prominent upscale restaurants in New York and Chicago and, and met with the uh, executive chefs and they were, you know, asked them whether they'd be interested in these meats. And anyway, he, he told me, or, you know, today a big portion of the, the uh, prime cuts they sell is that, that uh, hind, hind leg. The, oh, there's a sirloin roast. The sirloin. It's all kinds uh -huh. of different, yeah. there's names for all the different roasts. And with a nil guy, especially they're so large that you can, I mean, you can have, you could take one of those roasts off of a big animal, like a nilgai or an elk or a moose, and you can, you know, it's a single muscle roast, right? But, it, you know, if it's a big honking thing off a back leg of a nilgai, it could be 10 pounds. And you can then slice that across the grain, you know, an inch thick, and that's quite a steak. Yeah, that's the, that's the steak he was telling me that is like uh, a big portion of their business that they sell to the, uh, to the restaurant industry. Yep. Uh -huh. Here's another thing about Nilgai and, and bigger bigger animals like elk and moose. And, and even if, if you had a like a mega deer, like a 250, 300, 400 pound deer, you could do it too. Is there's an amazing steak that you can get off the front leg. It's called a, um, a flat iron steak. And so if you can, if you're listening to this and you can imagine a front shoulder, it's got, everything has a shoulder blade pretty much the same. You know, so imagine a shoulder blade, right? And it's got that ridge in the center. And then there's two basically triangular pieces of meat tucked into that ridge. So on the bigger one, especially on a larger animal, 
you've got a really nice big block of meat and that's called a blade roast. Mm -hmm. So the problem with a blade roast is it's got this honking layer of sinew right down the center of it. I mean, it's thick, it's super thick. It can be as thick as a pencil in, in moose. And so you can't really eat that. So what people have done with first with, with cattle, and then you can do this with large wild game animals as well, is you just fillet off the steak off of either side of that big band of sinew in the center of the blade roast. And you have one of the best steaks in the whole animal. And that's the flat iron. I have a tutorial on how to cut a flat iron steak on my website. I see the flat iron steak mostly at Mexican restaurants. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's a you know a cultural thing there, but you see that, yeah. I mean they have here anyway for it. But you do you see flat iron steaks in fancy restaurants a lot. I think people are are coming around to it as being a more flavorful steak than like a sirloin. Mm -hmm. Okay. What about when you're slow cooking something? You go back to actually leaving the silver skin on and, you know, anything where there's bones and connective tissue. Mm -hmm. It really, like I use the crock pot a lot um, mm -hmm. and I'll throw something, you know, a roast or a, a neck roast in there for, you know, eight hours and just walk away come back and those things have uh, cooked down and you've got this like nice gelatinous texture and taste to your dish. Absolutely. hundred percent. You know I mean? I think that I think typically when I bring home a big game animal, the front of the animal is eaten first. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense because most people think the money cuts are the, the hind leg roast and the back strap and they are, you know, but I get more enjoyment out of a say an elk neck roast or a whole front shoulder of a hog or a javelina um, than I do necessarily out of the other parts of it because of what you just mentioned. You know, you get that whole slow and low pot roasty or barbacoa kind of effect out of it. And it's it, the best tacos. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, but as far as the silver skin, does that break down as quickly? It, it breaks down uh, at 160 degrees and above. Uh, I don't know the exact rate. I should look up the exact rate, but it, it takes hours. I mean, you can pressure cook it too, and, it, and then that, that speeds things up. But I don't, I don't love pressure cooked meats. I mean, I understand why people do it because everyone has a life and a, and a time crunch. But what's the thing? What's if, the 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 um, Instapot? Yeah, that's that's a pressure cooker. Yeah. So the Instapot and and other pressure cookers, something there's something it's hard to explain. It's just not right it's fine there's nothing wrong with it i suppose it's not I don't have same one. as if you did it as a crock pot or or in a dutch oven it's convenient right yeah oh yeah yeah but i mean there's something that's flavor wise that mm -hmm. is different yeah well you know eight hours of everything mixing together is a lot different than i don't know how long it takes to cook something in an instapot what 20 minutes it could be just that it could just be a function of just hours yeah yeah what uh what is your favorite slow and low recipe right now for let's just say venison because i think that's probably what most people have in their freezer right now is well if they're fortunate to, to have stockpiled some before the lockdown right so i i think my favorite thing to do right now is it's super northern mexican texas kind of deal which which actually and i'm not just saying that because i'm talking to you um i just did it with a pig's head uh, but you can do it with a shoulder or a neck roast or shanks um is to throw that meat into the smoker. 
mm-hmm. and smoke it over mesquite. A real strongly flavored. You can do oak as well, but I mean, I like the strong flavor of mesquite in this case. And smoke it for about eh, three or four hours. You know, get a good smoke on it. Good smoke ring. And here's another smoke ring trick. In case you don't already know this, if you're gonna, if you want a really good smoke ring, move your meat from the refrigerator right to the hot smoker, because um, the longer it takes for the interior of that meat to hit. Oh, I'm going to forget the exact number. It's like 125 degrees mm-hmm. or maybe it's 140. But the, there's a particular moment at which the smoke ring stops. And the the you'll, the thicker the smoke ring, the longer it takes the meat to get to that particular temperature. So you can get a really bitchin' smoke ring um, by moving cold meat to a warming smoker. Hmm. So, But that's not going to tenderize you know, pig's head or a shoulder or shanks or a neck at all. So then you take that meat and then you either wrap it and keep it in the smoker. But to me, that wastes a bunch of fuel for a smoker that you don't need. You either wrap it tight in foil and or banana leaves or whatever it is that you want to wrap it in and put it, move it to a slow oven, like a 225 degree oven. And then you leave it there until it falls apart. Hmm. And then you shred it and you put it on flour tortillas with pico and avocado and whatever else you, that makes you happy it's amazing that would make me happy no doubt if you if you're not made happy by that particular meal i don't want to know you <laughs> neither do i for that matter we are going to work in a quick break here we'll come back tackle uh, broths stocks and uh, here maybe a new book is in the works as well so y'all stick around for more with hank shaw that segment was brought to you by john x safaris um i've been each of the last three summers have a trip for this summer plan. Don't know uh, with the COVID thing if that'll happen, but already have dates for 2021 on the calendar, July 23rd through 31st. If you're interested in joining me on that epic adventure to South Africa's beautiful Eastern Cape, then uh, shoot me a message. Uh, you can email me, LoneStarOutdoorShow at gmail.com. I will get you the necessary information sent over, and hopefully we'll be hunting the dark continent together summer of 2021. We'll be right back with more from Wild Game Chef Hank Shaw on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Hello, Carl Malone, and thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. She wore them Navajo pearls and a turquoise ring. The head tied up high and a hose in her jeans. And I said to myself, well, this is all I'll ever need. There's a new one there for you, Carson Jeffrey, Ranch Girl Dream, bringing us back. On the Lone Star Outdoor Show, Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by today. Do appreciate it, as this uh, episode has been all things wild game conversation, and we will continue that discussion 
with Hank Shaw here in just a second. But this segment, first of all, is brought to you by Our Luck Outfitters, offering the finest in Newfoundland moose hunting. Uh, I hunted with them in October. They are great people. They've got nice lodges in some of the most remotely beautiful areas of Newfoundland. Some of the most beautiful areas I've ever stepped foot in, to be honest. Uh, You have to helicopter in. They've got lots of moose. I took a nice bull on the third day of my hunt. And the great thing about hunting moose in a place like Newfoundland is you're not going to have to sell your firstborn kid to pay for the hunt. It's not a $25,000 Alaskan or uh, Yukon moose hunt, which, hey, I'm not opposed to that. Love to do that someday as well. But you can do the Newfoundland hunt for closer to like a third of that. So check it out, ourluckoutfitters.com to book your Newfoundland moose hunting adventure. Um, Picking it back up with Hank, we certainly appreciate you sticking around, brother. Yeah, no problem. One other thing I wanted to talk about was was broths and and uh, stocks. And when you've made one, I I, I want to skip to the end of the deal. When you have finished one, how do you store it? Because I have I don't have a lot of experience keeping these. And if I have kept them, I've usually used them within a few days, so I didn't freeze them. But I spent a whole afternoon making elk broth. I kept uh, both femurs, got a huge pot, stunk up the whole house. Uh, Mm -hmm. boiled them down, had this beautiful broth and jarred like, I think I had six or seven jars of it. And I didn't fill it up all the way. I filled it like maybe four fifths of the way. And of course, a week later, I go out to the freezer to grab one and they're all cracked and ruined. So that's weird. um, Because normally in any given pint or, um, or quart, if you give, if you give that, that stock three fingers worth of of room, Mm -hmm. it won't crack the glass. Um, now, did you put it in hot and then put it right in the freezer? They sat out for a little while. Hmm. Maybe I just what filled I them up too high, I guess. And I'll tell you what, with, with land meats or birds, I pressure can it. Hmm. You know, I bought, uh, uh, an all American pressure canner. They're not paying me to say that, but they're, it's a big sturdy one from Wisconsin. Um, so I bought a big old pressure canner. You can't use an instant pot for this. Oh, you, know, you, you know, you did a big old <laughs> pressure canner and I will put in, you know, four or five quarts of stock and pressure can it. So you have pressure cans, shelf stable, wild game stock at, that is ready for you at a moment's notice. It is an absolute game changer. How expensive are these uh, pressure canners? They're, I think the All Americans, a couple hundred bucks. Okay. For a big one. Yeah, not bad. Um, but they, I mean, the last, I mean, your kids will use the same one. I mean, it's, they're indestructible. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the thing is, like, I even do this with, remember you're talking about, you know, the the, the broth and the, the stock pot with the shelter roast or the neck roast. Well, you can run that through a strainer and pressure can that. So you can have like a carnitas broth or a barbacoa broth on your counter that you made that you can just pop it open and then reuse it. Now, of course, you know, eventually you're going to have to repressure can it or, or freeze it or whatever, but the the Ability to have a broth of your choice, whether it's quail or pheasants or, you know, nilgai or, or deer or whatever, you can't buy that in a store. And the, the ability to have it like, oh, it's a Tuesday, I'm done with work and I want to make something that needs broth and I don't feel like trying to thaw a quart of frozen broth quickly because there's no good way to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's one decent way, but even that takes 45 minutes. Whereas uh, if you've got a 
canned on your shelf, it works great. Now, the caveat to that is it's not good for seafood or shellfish stock. Okay. If, it's, if you're making seafood or fish or shellfish, that has to be frozen. Well, you mentioned running that, you know, going back to um, like a moose shoulder roast. I made a pot roast, essentially, uh, mm -hmm. slow cooked eight hours and, uh, you know, carrots and um, potatoes, all that stuff. What I was left with was something that was so beautiful after all that other stuff was eaten. I was like, how do I throw this? Away? I can't throw this away. So I did. I ran it through a strainer and got a couple jars of it. And um, I don't know what I'll do with it, but. They, I didn't fill them up as, as high, and they're in the freezer. I checked on them yesterday. They didn't crack. So, <laughs> Yeah, the easy answer is, like, next time you're making a pot of chili, uh -huh. throw one of them in there to just add as a, a little extra secret thing. Or if you're doing, you know, a stew, throw it in there. I mean, you could use it as a base for a pan sauce for steaks. Mm. You know, there's a number of ways that you can use it. Mm. I'm all, you know, a little inspiration, creative inspiration there from you, uh, which if anyone has – checked out your books. I mean, there's plenty of that in there. Um, you know, I've enjoyed the books over the years and always loved seeing your, you. your social media stuff. And, and all, I'm guilty of not following recipes to a T, but I think I always find inspiration in other people's dishes and, and then, you know, take that and run with it. Yeah. But that's how you get creative, you know? Yeah. Um, and speaking of books, I actually have a new one coming out in the spring. Yeah. Tell us about yeah, that. It's a, it's going to be uh, all fish and seafood. So it's going to, it's going to be a comprehensive, really like a codex of how to crack the code on cooking freshwater or saltwater fish, all the seafood, in, in a way that it will be as useful for somebody in Galveston as it will be for somebody in you know, Amarillo or Alaska or Florida or Maine. So it's, it's sort of pan boundaries. And it's, it's taken me a while to write this because it's, you have to think about cooking fish and seafood in a slightly different way. And I'm really looking forward to it. And it should be out in the spring of 2021. And what is, is there a title yet? We have a working title. It still might change, but the working title is uh, Hook, Line, and Supper. Well, I will look forward to that. And I love wild game, but man, seafood just kind of has my heart. not going to lie. That's why I'm going to uh, go red snapper fishing offshore in a couple of weeks. That's right. It's open. Yeah. And I might get sick. I don't know. I the older I get, the, the more seasick I tend to uh, get. But a, a cooler of fresh red snapper, the allure is just too great. It's worth it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love catching those things. Mm -hmm. I mean, the only the only goldfish I like catching more is, uh, is amberjack, just because it's like trying to pull in a pony. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Well, and they live in the same place as the snapper, so they uh, do. We, could, uh, we could get lucky there. Um, what is As we wrap up here, what is your favorite, and I'll tell you mine, uh, but what is your favorite North American big game animal? And I recently found out mine is moose because I had never eaten a moose until I shot one in October. And from burgers to steaks to, I mean, you name it, it has been, I mean, my wife will even tell you, like, the flavor is so mild. Elk was my favorite. I think moose is my favorite now. Moose is hard to beat, uh, although I've heard some people who've had some pretty pretty piss-poor moose. Um, and it probably was a very, very old, rutting bull, mm -hmm. would be my guess. For me, pronghorn. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of pronghorn, uh, and I'm a huge fan of coos deer. So coos deer, yes, it's a whitetail technically, but for whatever reason, these little gray deer 
know how to live in the Sonoran Desert so well that they're often very fat, which is, you wouldn't think that you'd find a fat deer in the desert. Mm-hmm. And the the kicker to that is, you know, again, most people listening to this think, deer fat, ew. This is the first and only deer fat I have ever eaten that does not make my mouth waxy. <laughs> and so the concept of a of a reasonably fat you know deer that doesn't that where the fat is delicious that's pretty cool yeah wow i was going back to the moose like when you when you make hamburgers are you adding any fat to that i mean i just typically always you do okay Mm -hmm. i add a little bit of the deer's fat and then uh i'll add pork fat for the most for most of it i want a little deer fat in there for flavor but too much can make your mouth waxy which is no fun Uh uh-huh when when working with this moose recently, I haven't haven't been adding any fat, and the burgers have been, I mean, just delicious. So, um, so coos deer though, I haven't shot a coos deer, but uh, certainly deer pronghorn is is up there. It's uh, I think it's definitely underrated. People say, oh, those things taste like sage, you know, not the ones well, I've I mean, shot. It's, all, it's just like we were talking about in field care. You've yeah. got a put them on the ground and then immediately start work on making them delicious. And if you just leave them in the, in the back of the truck for a while, it's not going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good stuff as always, my friend. Um, Yeah. Great catching up. I've certainly enjoyed the conversation. New book coming out spring 2021. We will be uh, on the lookout for that. And if you want to give us your social media uh, platform so folks can follow along. So the easiest way to find me on all social media platforms would be to to look up Hunt Gather Cook. So I'm Hunt Gather Cook on Instagram. I'm very active there. I run a Hunt Gather Cook um, Facebook group. It's a private group. So you'll to say you heard me on the show, and I'll let you in. Uh, and then my website is HuntGatherCook.com. It is the, the title of it is Hunter Angler Gardener Cook, and I have literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of wild game recipes on the site. Well, awesome. I've enjoyed it as always. And, you know, we've been saying we're going to do one of these, uh, quail hunts, uh, go around a couple States and try to bag multiple species for a couple of years. Now we got to make that happen sometime. Yeah. But let's, let's, let's think about some scalies. Oh. Well, they call them blue quail in Texas. What are the, um, oh, we have some, what is the, uh, is it, it's not Montezuma, is it? Yeah. I don't think you have Montezumas in Texas. No, no. Don't you guys have them out out west? Arizona, Arizona, New Mexico. Yeah. Those are those are appealing to me. They're super something, cool. Something I haven't shot before. We'll have to make it happen, man. Absolutely. All right. Take care, Hank. Thanks a lot for having me on. So there he goes, our friend Hank Shaw. Man, new book coming out next spring. Looking forward to that. I certainly appreciate Hank jumping on today. That segment was brought to you by First Light's Guide Light Short. It's kept me cool this spring and certainly will do the same as we head into the heat of the summer. Uh, from the backcountry, if you're out scouting, to filling feeders at the deer lease, or to the bar. I mean, it's uh, casual enough to have a few drinks with your buddies as well. It's the Guide Light Short. You can find it at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. Man, just looking at the clock, we gotta go, gotta get out of here. Thanks to Hank, uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. When you dig my grave, would you make it shallow? 
so I can feel all the rain. Great. 